before I had a CFO, dude, I would stress about taxes. Even outside of tax season, I would stress about money all, every day. I would say, and it's not even that I didn't have it. I, I was just scared. I didn't know how, how long am I going to have it? What's the future look like? I don't know. There's just all these question marks. And that to me was huge. It's just lifting off the burden of not knowing. Welcome to the Lensetter Show, the show that blends the art of sales, the science of success, and the strategies of real experts in the mortgage and sales industries to help you grow your client base, increase your revenue, and get in control of your life. I'm your host, Preston Schmidley. Kick back, enjoy the episode, and don't forget to subscribe. What's going on, friends? Welcome to this episode of the Lensetter Show. I'm very excited uh, to have uh, one of uh, a phenomenal friend, uh, one of my favorite people on the planet Earth. Uh, he is our fractional CFO, uh, but to us, he, he might as well be a part of the team. And I've actually tried to persuade him, uh, to be on our payroll, but, um, you know, he's an entrepreneur as well and he runs his own business. And I respect that, uh, from one entrepreneur to another. So, uh, with that said, I, I want to introduce Chase Hastings, uh, the co-founder of growth financial, um, great friend of mine. So Chase, thanks for joining on the lens setter show today. Um, this episode is going to be all, all, all orbiting all around. Uh, you know, it's one thing to make money; it's another to keep it. And uh, I think that's a really important thing because for most of my life, I was I was decent at making it, and I sucked at holding it. And uh, you know, I had to learn a lot of hard lessons that way. And you guys have definitely been instrumental in and uh, and helping us out. So, so before we dive into you know the the meat and taters of this whole discussion, why don't you give just a, a quick uh, um, kind of walk through of your journey uh, uh, into the land of being a CFO. And, and maybe that that puts you in too small of a box. Why don't you kind of describe to the audience who you are, uh, and then we'll just roll with uh, where the conversation goes. Thanks for the introduction, Preston. Love, uh, love you having yep. us on here. Um, so yeah, just want to give a little bit about my background here. We're going to start pretty deep. So I'm actually from a small town in Louisiana, uh, you know, Grew up in, in a household with uh, my mom and my stepdad. My parents actually split when I was pretty pretty early on. Um, you know, things were really tight growing up. That said, definitely had a lot of love in my family. Uh, not that there wasn't, uh, you know, there weren't hiccups here and there, I'd say. Sure. We call yeah. that childhood. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the crazy things here is, you know, a lot of the most successful people that I've met and, you know, the deeper conversations I've had with them, just a very common trend you'd see of like there's a lot of trauma and things that go uh, as hurt. I mean, you know, it's it's really how do you frame it, right? And for me, I frame any any of the experiences that I just might consider bad as those are like reinforcing things for me, you know, growing up. So yeah, I mean, that is, you know, for me, my childhood and, and it's really everyone, if you've ever been in therapy, that dictates a lot of who you are as a person and it's really determined who you are as an, you know, an adult. Um but yeah, so I was in small town, Louisiana, uh, you know, fast forward through, uh, through college, went to Louisiana tech and accounting left there. Um, you know, and then went and ran in uh, the accounting department for an engineering firm for about five to six years. And so while I was there I actually got paid like dirt, but the valuable part there was that it was a fantastic experience of really, you know, grinding my teeth and learning every part of the business. You know, I, I, I say this all the time. I have no idea what the hell they were doing. Uh, hiring me with the qualifications I had to do the position I did, but I would say it, it worked out for them, right? They saw uh, something in you. Yeah, yeah, or they're desperate, but I like to believe they saw something in you. <laughs> it's, it's what narrative do you want to craft for it, right? So, uh, you know, that, you know, so I look back on that and even for a little bit there, I called myself like, oh man, I got taken advantage of that type of thing. But, but every day, 
you know, I've got a team under me now and I'm, you know, training them and showing them something. I look back, like, where did I learn it? It was just having the freedom to really do whatever needed to be done in that department. And, you know, that kind of got me around the day. So, you know, ran that department for five to six years. Um, you know, at that point, I uh, got my CMA, I uh, was certified management accounting. And then from there shifted into, you know, where we are today, um, you know, left to join another, to join a firm that did fractional CFO work, was there a little while before, and that's where I met you guys, obviously. And then, um, you know, left to be CFO for a uh, you know, cryptocurrency firm, which was really exciting uh, until it, it literally tanked month one. <laughs> yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. Joining that, um, you know, it, it then, was interesting to see how quick those high highs and those low lows could be close to each other. I was like, I was like, okay, Preston, man, guys, sorry, look, I'm, I'm going to be heading out. Like I just, you know, offer, I can't refuse. It's been great. Love you guys. And then a month later, oh my God. <laughs> no, but, uh, you know, and I, I got to stop here to give you guys kudos too, because yeah, after that happened and, you know, we had already settled on me going to one of your, your guys' quarterly retreats to, you know, just really goes kind of more of a, a friend of the company uh, type scenario. You know, I, w- I was probably in a little bit of a rut myself at that time and going there reminding me how much I enjoyed working with you and, and other clients like you and just the relationships I'd built, the conversations I was having. And so you guys are literally client numero uno, <laughs> which is super, you know, of, of the, you know, growth financial. And yeah, it's been a wild ride, uh, you know, last little bit you know, getting everything, uh, together has been, yeah, I'd say it's, it's been interesting to, to hop in it's been rewarding to, you know, start up your own firm and, and right away have a lot of clients come to you. Um, and that just shows, you know, you know, for me, it's, if you're, if you do good work and you have good conversations, yeah, typically successful follow. Yeah. Um, so yeah. That's uh, that's a little bit uh, or a lot of bit about me, maybe more than you're looking. No, I like it. That was good. So, so it actually raised a question for me because I myself don't know. I mean, I, I know of you as, and I, I think of you, I should say, as our CFO, right? And um, McBilly and I have always treated you, or we've always at least, this is our goal is to treat you as the veto, right? It's like we're president, but you're Congress. That's the way that I view it, right? And, um, and so there's been a lot of times where, and, and, and our goal was, we're like, if we're going to have a CFO, we need to listen when he says some shit about money. And if he goes, that's dumb, we need to actually go, okay. And I mean, and go against our desire in that moment to push forward or do this or do that and, and throttle down. Or sometimes there's times where you go, you got to turn it up. And we're like, really? You know? And so it's like, it's, it's kind of, um, Going against our, I don't want to say instinct. I mean, I guess it is instinct. You know, our knee-jerk response would be to do something different a lot of the times than you looking at the data and the numbers and all that would would advocate for. So, I mean, you know, I know of you as a CFO, but you you had mentioned something there that I didn't really know. Uh, you said that you you got your CMA. So, why don't before we dive into anything too tactical, why don't you break down for people that are listening? Because, like I said, I don't even know. What what really is the difference between a CMA, a CFO, a CPA? Like, let's break down some of these terms and how this all works. Yeah, yeah, no, happy to. So, CPA, uh, that's going to be what ninety nine percent of people think when they think of an accountant. That's that, that you know goofy guy in the background, fairy guy, you know, right. cranking, getting taxes for you and making sure all of that is you know everything's in place, all the T's are crossed, all the I's are dotted, and they're really looking back a lot of the times at your historical financials to make sure everything is prepped uh, properly and it's filed that also be might be the person who can like give you your financials to date 
but where a CPA kind of falls off in my experience, and, and you may have, you know, I know that they cover it some in, inside of their, their curriculum, is it doesn't hit enough on the future part, the part about making business. CMA is all about that certified management accounting. It's doing management accounting, which is, you know, providing accounting reports for management to take and utilize and actually make changes in their business that are going to make them money in the future versus just trying to keep stuff in today. And so I'd say that big difference in how you should think about those two roles. Um, so CPA, again, more ingrained. CMA, I, I'd say my understanding is it's, it's relatively to the field, which is a very old field, but relatively a, a newer certification there. Um, and yeah, it's it's very geared around your financial person becoming a partner in your business versus just this external person that you talk to a couple times a year for your tax strategy and structure. So for somebody who's looking to acquire, so it sounds to me like CPA is the is really the the, the main, the, the creme de la creme, the primary designation for somebody doing accounting and tax preparation, right? Um, that's going to be looking backward. A CMA, if somebody, you know, whoever's listening to this, if they're like, you know, I do need somebody helping me make sense of the numbers and the money, uh, and they're looking for that CFO role, right? Because a CFO is a role, uh, a CPA is a designation, and it sounds to me like a CMA is a designation as well. Sounds like if you're looking for a CFO, it's not you know, something that would be beneficial to know is do they have a CMA? Is this a, you know, is, and that it sounds to me like that might be a leading indicator of knowledge or experience in a, that CFO role. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I would say that. Yeah, yeah. By, you know, if I was hiring for a CFO for my business, which obviously, I mean, even as a finance guy, if I'm running a business, I don't need to be the person being my CFO at the same time. That's too many hats, right? Um, but if I'm hiring for a CFO for my business and I see a CMA there, I immediately think that's somebody that can help me strategically and make all that work. And I'm like, well, that's great. Because when it comes down to getting your taxes filed and having like the right structure, unless you're like an Amazon or something, you're probably going to want to get an external CPA firm that's, you know, getting the taxes. They've worked with a lot of clients like yours. They understand the tax structures appropriately. So it's really two different hats that you want to make sure that you get you get filled within your organization. And especially as a small business, um, both of those hats, you know, seeking those separately is usually pretty good. However, like, as you know, on our side, we work directly with a CPA firm that we've you know, partnered, partnered up with to provide that aspect there. So we really manage that relationship also um, for you guys. So that's awesome. Yeah. Well, and I agree. And, and I, I do love that because part of the, and as you know, I'm, I'm pretty open about this. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, 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 it's funny to me now but I used to hate taxes and, 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 and part of that was, it, I felt like it was a game I had to play that I never understood. I still don't really, if I'm being honest, but that's the thing about growing a business is you hire people smarter than you in different functions. Right. Um, but the one thing that, um, you know, I, I, like I literally back when I was like kind of this perpetual struggling entrepreneur trying to find his way, I literally went like a decade without paying taxes. Right. And, there's obviously guilt and shame that comes around that. Cause it's like, it, it, there's nothing cool about I'm not, I'm anti-tax for the gist of it. Cause I'm quite libertarian. Right. However, there's not really a cool thing to be like, I don't pay taxes. There's reasons you don't pay taxes. Right. It's like, you know, I, and so I've learned to kind of reframe the way I look at that is it's like, okay, well, taxes are a sign that I did something right now. I still don't like paying them. I hate taxes. But I changed my relationship with them over the years from how I perceive them because it's like, yes, it still sucks. I don't like them anymore than I used to like. However, I look at it now as an indicator of success for me because the IRS doesn't have a target on you unless you've done something worth doing, right? 
And so that's why I went 10 years without getting Wesley sniped because, you know, it's like, why would they waste resources? There's nothing to waste resources on, right? And so now it's like, I, I just have a different relationship with the with that side of it, which I think is really cool. Um, one thing I, um, uh, um, I wanted to dive into is you have a huge, uh, uh, you guys really encompass a lot of, of the solution around money, right? Because it's like, there's so many different parts of it. You could have a CPA that does your taxes, but still have no clue about the future, right? And so I, I don't even think this is just two roles. I mean, I, I've I've kind of identified from working with you and your team. You got the CFO, you got the CPA. You have a, you have kind of like this uh, controller. I think it's called. There's like different people that really collaborate to make sure that there's this like holistic, like treatment plan for the money, right? Why don't you talk to how you kind of do the division of responsibility uh, uh, within your organization? Because I know you guys aren't a CPA. But you guys have such a close integration with our with our CPA and that relationship that it really does feel like it's the same uh, organism, if you will. So why don't you talk to that division of responsibility a little bit and how somebody that maybe has just been, you know, they haven't had any future projections and really they've just been turbo taxing it up on on their taxes and they're going, I don't feel like I'm getting what I need from this, right? How should they be looking at that division of responsibility or potentially looking at a fractional CFO firm because I've also seen a lot sprout up and admittedly a lot that I haven't seen talk about a CMA uh, uh, designation, right? So so I'm sure that there's a lot of bad apples in that bunch as well. So yeah, just unpack that a little bit. Talk about, you know, what should they be looking for? How does the division of responsibilities work? What is a, an effective CFO firm? How should it be structured? And what are some identifiers that they're in good hands? Yeah. And you know, I might go a little around the world here because that's a pretty, you know, all-encompassing question to it. And I think where I want to start, you know, you mentioned like, you know, you saw a lot of, you've seen a lot of firms, not a lot mentioned like CMAs. You have a lot of people that are going to tout over your fractional CFO, right? The vast majority of those businesses aren't anything more than like a, a P&L reader. If P&L is profitable, they're just, they pull up your financials, they said, oh, hey, this revenue line says 100K. You made 100K this month. Great. Good for you. Oh, calls right. the good Hey, you made 30K or you lost 30, you paid 30K and cost of goods sold. Great. Profits 10. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, and so that's one of the big things you have to look out for, for anyone who is looking to, to hire someone to be a fractional CFO is what are they actually providing, right? For us, what a fractional CFO means is it is someone like if you were to, uh, you know, scale your business to 10, 100 at your size and you were hiring someone to be a CFO, what would that person be handling? <clears throat> and for me, it's peace of mind and Again, all the financial numbers. I can't remember if we covered that off the call earlier, or if that, or if this is the first time we're talking about now. So double, double. Yeah, no, no, we. I don't think we covered it, bro. So this okay. is good. Yeah, so it's you know it's really peace of mind on all the financial aspects. It's understanding. Okay, are my taxes getting filed? Obviously, the CFO is making sure that happens. You know, our job might not be to file the taxes for you, but our job is to make sure it gets done and is done in a way that you know really pulls the least resources, least brain power from you. Right. It's like imagine this person in your organization that just label line, your taxes are filed. You that you know how much money is in your business, you know what your profit margins are, you know what your ratio are, what targets you need to be hitting, and like what are the actions you need to take if it's not happening. Um, and yeah. really there to guide you and and just remove that work off of your plate as much as absolutely possible. And so for us, that's what a fractional CFO does. Um, you will find some firms where that CPA arm is in-house, and that's actually, that is something on our agenda to bring in-house. 
um, eventually uh, as well. But what we do in the interim is we have this awesome, amazing partners. Uh, it's Adams and Peterson. Um, it's the firm that we we partner with. And so we have a direct line to them at all times. I've had, I'd say, probably five or six conversations on your behalf that you probably don't even know about. I'm uh, sure. Specifically with Garrett, uh, it, was, it was our primary point of contact over there. And, uh, you know, this way, you know, if we're, if we have a client across, if you think of it at scale, right, there's 20 clients that are all filing taxes relatively similar. Taxes sound like this complicated beast because it's the first time you're doing it. You're doing it yeah. for yourself. Maybe you've done it for yourself 10 times. Well, guess what? We've done it for a hundred clients, multiple years. So, you know, it's, right. right. It's, it's hours. It's like, do you, somebody's flying a plane for you. You want someone with a ton of hours flying the plane. Right. Her clients is where you want someone with a ton of hours and you're not going to get that by just trying to hire someone who is, you know, just working in your business or maybe only has a handful of clients and those clients are all over different industries with different structures. So yeah, that's really, you know, that's, that's what we try to do. But, you know, it's like, you know, you know, kind of economies of scale of working with clients that are all very similar. That's why we, you know, our primary specialty is in, you know, service-based businesses, uh, even more so remote service-based businesses. It's because you guys are all in, within a certain revenue range, you know, anywhere from, you know, 40K a month uh, revenue to, you know, we have a client that's about eight, 900K right now. Um, you know, all within that range, there's only so many things that are going to happen. So we're able to, you know, plan for those and make sure that those are happening. And on your know, tax guy side, they only have to have the conversation once versus a hundred different times. The honey, that's the role that we get to play. That's the efficiency we get to bring into the industry. Um, and yeah, that peace of mind is what we're here to give you. I love that. So, so let's talk about like kind of building a business, right? Cause like I I'm big on this, uh, you know, we've, we've grown to about 5 million a year right now, run rate, our goal, actually our goal was 10 million, but with some shifts to the business, you know, it's now 15. Um, and I, and I think we have a clear, a clear map to get there now. It's not free of work, but I think we have a vision that we can, you know, strive for. And, um, so, you know, it's been really fruitful for us that to know that not only are you guys, are you guys watching our six, right? So that this is, and, and yes, I'm plugging your business, but at the same time, I'm plugging the concept of having somebody manage the, the money, right? Uh, because it's like, I remember before we ever had a CFO, we didn't really know it even existed. And we, our emotional state was heavily dictated by what we saw when we looked at the bank account, right? Because we'd check in and go, okay, it's bigger than yesterday. Sweet. Oh, it's 20K less than yesterday. What happened? Well, we, it, yeah, well, we spent it. We made a choice to spend it, right? But it's like our, our well-being was very much determined by what we saw every day when we looked at the bank account, which created an unhealthy relationship between us and our bank account because we were, you know, the decisions started to look emotional rather than logical. There's times it's great to spend money. It's like, yeah, you got less money today, but let's, you know, in 90 days you won't, right? And so now it's it's a more, I, I would say, uh, just a healthier relationship, right? Because it's like, I know without a shadow of my doubt, you guys are presenting us with problems. I don't have to go look for them. You guys, are, if there's a red flag, you guys have already brought it up, right? Um, and that's not just on current or past events. That's a, hey, we were doing the, the, the annual review based on last month. And I think this month, if we don't adjust these things, if we don't lower this, if we don't raise this, we risk these consequences, right? And it's like having that kind of clarity it's removed so many question marks from our brain that frees us to stay in our zone of genius that I actually think that's the most valuable part of it. Cause it's like, have you helped us make smart financial decisions? Sure. 
has having a a, a CFO been been prof, a profitable thing? We have certainly made more having you with us than we've spent to have you with us, right? But I think for me, the biggest point of leverage is the release of not necessarily responsibility, but the release of bandwidth that it takes from our brains to folk to get back to focusing on stuff that matters. Because I remember before I had a CFO, dude, I would stress about taxes, even outside of tax season. I would stress about money all every day. I would say, and it's not even that I didn't have it. I, I was just scared. I didn't know how, how long am I going to have it? What's the future look like? I don't know. There's just all these question marks. And that to me was huge. It's just lifting off the burden of not knowing, you know? And for me, that's, yeah, like, I think you've been now, it's an interesting problem if you actually look at, you know, selfishly, like on our side of a client acquisition, how do you explain what it is that we do? And what, what I found is, yeah, going and explaining the peace of mind part is really the best, the best way to do it. Because here's the thing. If you are, if you're running a business and you're selling services, selling people, right? Like, oh, I'm running a closer business. It's really easy to tie the work that I'm doing to money directly. You know, if you if you hire a marketing consultant, it's really easy to tie the work they're doing to money. When it comes to finance, it's very hard to tie what we do to money, right? There's this ethereal thing because we can clear the bandwidth off your plate, like you know, in terms of worrying about money all day. But if you don't do anything with it, sure, and you spend money and you haven't actually turned revenue in there. So there is, you know, there is that part where you know we're not going to bring you all the way to the finish line, right? But what we can at least do is take off all the stuff in your plate so that you can focus on what matters. And if you're a business owner, the best, the best, like at scale, like obviously you're probably stuck in the day to day, but the best thing as a business owner down the road is to focus on what are these big, you know, 10 Xing, 100 Xing ideas that you can do in your business to really propel it into the future, to propel it forward versus, you know, if you spend time, if you spend 10 hours working on your taxes, those 10 hours are gone. Like you spent 10 hours, it's not compounding, right? But if you spend 10 hours thinking about this new high level, you know, uh, you know, offer that you're going to be putting out for your business or service or complete restructuring, you know, as you continue referring that, once you lock that in, that service is going to add more revenue into your business. Right. More revenue in your business is going to have more team members. Those more new team members, if you've done a good job, are going to also create new ideas and bring more revenue into your business. So then your efforts are compounding at that point. Whereas if you're stuck you know, your business is not finance and taxes. That's my business, right? But if you're thinking about it, worrying about it, you're foregoing the compounding value that you'll get, you know, working on your business to throw one-off work on your taxes. Which essentially is neglecting the exponential to embrace the linear. hundred percent. That's exactly right. And that's what we see. It's a huge struggle. Like as small business owners, I see it all the time, just <clears throat> investing important things because getting your tax filed, it is important, right? Um, but having a part, it really just comes down to having a partner that you can truly trust. And I'd say more often than not, you know, you know, prospects, clients that, that we speak to come in and like, they're like, I don't know if this, if my last guy did it right, he was really unresponsive to me. Like they, I'd imagine that's most of the times so I'd imagine that. Cause like people are looking at, at the finances very, in a, in a very compartmentalized fashion. Right. So it, it absolutely blows my mind. Um, you know, just how disjointed the experience is too with most financial people. And, you know, I was, so my wife is director of ops inside of our business. So I'm lucky enough to have a relationship where, you know, I, my brain doesn't turn off from business. So it's very good that right. I found who is willing to listen and enjoys talking about it as much as I do. Yeah. You got the Alex and Layla Hormozy relationship. That's awesome. 
Oh, I know. Yeah, I have recently went down. I've told you guys this before the Harmozy kick, and I'm just like, yeah, pretty cool to see a lot of the similarities there. I mean, again, my my goal, That's legit. my goal one day is for him to view me as like a threat to his revenue stream. Uh, we'll see yeah. if that uh, or a partner. We'll see. Yeah, you'll probably be a partner. Honestly, I see more. I see more. I see more opportunity than I do conflict. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's like, look, once once you get to that level, like it's it's I don't know. They're they're big. Petty disagreements, they're like jet like challenges and all that. At you know, I've I've worked with a lot of people who are at that level. That kind of goes away. It's more of like we build something together if we're trying to do the same thing, right? But uh, that said, at the time of this recording, he I, I'm not even like a like a I don't know some vulgar like analogy here. <laughs> so uh, I'm not like a, I don't know, I'm not going to go there. Uh, but I'm not uh, I'm not even on his radar at the moment here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I feel that. So so let's um. One thing I, I want to kind of talk about is like looking out for, because you had actually mentioned something that kind of sparked a thought for me where you were talking about the, the disjointedness of it and the people that are coming to you with problems and, and just the, you know, um, t- things weren't filed properly or they weren't filed at all or, or whatever, right? There's just mistakes and errors and, and uh, disconnected uh, uh, events that, you know, cause complications over time, right? You know, the taxes are looked at isolated from the the projections, which is isolated from, you know, it's like this all disconnected series of events. And so, um, what, so, so like to me, you know, when I look at finances and I'm not a finance guy, you got your taxes. Somebody's got to be looking out for your taxes. You got your future. You got to be looking at future projections and figuring out what that looks like. Right. Um, you have just a straight up accounting, right? You have to make like you have to have the reconciliation of what what are we spending on, how the categorization of that, because we even get the monthly reporting from you guys. Um, I know we do the two, I think it's two calls a month usually, uh, at at minimum, right? Where we kind of go, we look at, okay, what are we doing? What 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 are we set for the month? Where are we going? What is this goal? Okay, here's what needs to shift for the goal. If next month we're trying to do X, then we need to make, you know. Y, Z, A, B, C changes, right? And so to me, that's been really empowering because, um, you know, like we had that call the other the other day where we were talking about, you know, the goal of, of sales and the relationship between that and our ad spend. And we need to, you know, the, how, how those two things are directly correlated. I mean, everything's directly correlated at some level, right? But mathematically making sense of that and looking at that strategically, um, I think that's so valuable. And so... Um, so I want you to imagine we got a loan originator listening to this, or we got you know somebody that's in sales that's listening to this, and they go, "Yeah, dude, I this all sounds great. How do we make it less ethereal? How do we make it more like something that they can actually pursue, uh, 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 or or you know adopt? Like, you know, what should they look for? What are the first steps for them to try to make sense of this world? Could you give me a little more context on that? Yeah. So okay. So. Somebody may not be in a position where they're ready to just go, you know what, F it. I'm just going to hire Chase, right? Maybe that's not where they're at. And that's fine, right? But but everybody, everybody that's in business has taxes, has revenue, has expenses. Ha- they, have, they have these problems, right? And so I guess my question is, somebody that's at that place that maybe they're not yet, they're aware of the problem, but they're not yet ready to commit to a full-fledged service to manage it, Right. What are some first steps that they can kind of go through to at least make make this financial situation in their life less chaotic? Yeah, so I would say that you know once you you're probably bringing in you know maybe over 100k, 150k a year, and you're running a business, 
that's probably the point where you do need to bring in, you know, a tax practice. And that person, if you find the right one, they're going to file for you, you know, it, you know, the forms that need to be filed, they're going to give you your tax deadlines, but they should also give you, you know, a little bit of like basic strategy there to say, Hey, should you be filing as an S corp? Um, you know, should you have an S corp set up, which is a, a designation, you know, without getting too granular here, it's like, you know, usually when you start a business, you're like a sole proprietor, an LLC, file a form, it makes you an S corp. And what happens is you pay less taxes, uh, if you've done it appropriately. Right. Um, but at that stage, you want to have that conversation. So you make sure that your bases are covered on that level. Because that can actually have a significant 15, 20, 30K, $1,000, like a year difference for you in taxes. It can be pretty, pretty like crazy, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, because if you are, you know, if you're paying that level of taxes for for yourself, typically self-employment plus income tax, you're probably going to pay 35 to 40 cents out of every dollar that you make wow. to 1%. Um, but if you set it up right, you have to pay yourself a fair and reasonable. If you set up an S corp, you have to pay yourself a what's a fair and reasonable wage, which depends on how much you make. Super murky, super vague. IRS is super fun about that. Right, <laughs> about that. Right. But let's say you know seventy thousand dollars is you know you make two hundred k a year, but seventy thousand is like the fair and reasonable wage from the effort that you put into your business. Of that seventy k, you're going to get charged at that forty percent, right? But everything after that, you're going to get capital gains which is going to be around 15%, I believe, right? So it changes depending on how much you're making. But so you can just imagine for the sake of this kind of napkin math example, you're going to save 25 cents on every dollar. Mm. That's, that's, all. that's a big deal. So you got oh, $130,000, which I picked a little bit rounder than math, but you know, a quarter of that, there you go. So it's pretty, it's pretty impactful in terms of the, the overall taxes that you'd be paying. Um, so when that's, you guys helped us with that lot, like you, you specifically worked with us a long time ago to, we restructured and everything and the holding companies and the, and, and that, that was kind of cool because I mean, obviously there's ongoing maintenance, but it's, it's kind of like, there's a one time the work's really on the front end, right? It's like, you got to set it up right. But after that, there's like not much more maintenance than you already have just being a business anyways. So, I mean, yeah, yeah, that's, that's the thing, right? So it's, you know, and we think about it from, from a revenue point of view, right? So zero to 40 K a month, that's where you need to have like a tax guy. And then like maybe someone's doing your books once a year. And then outside of that, it really, your business can be run kind of like on the, the napkin math type scenario of, okay, cool. I know this much is coming in. You don't have many expenses. You might have, you know, 500 bucks a month in overheads. So like software subscriptions or something, maybe even a little more than that they have to pay. You have your own salary. You might have one person on your team. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand where your money is there. But once you kind of 40K and beyond, that's when you want to actually start having someone you want to like partner with like a fractional CFO firm, you know, like myself to, hey, now we're taking over your books for you. We're making sure everything is classed exactly where it needs to go. Because one, then you're starting to run into the area where you are technically at an audit risk. Um, audit risk means IRS saying, hey, I, want you, I need you to prove everything that you're doing. Now, that said, it, even then, it's like, unless you're making just millions and millions of months, you're probably not going to get audited. Uh, or at least if you do get audited, it's not going to be a super horrible thing for you in your life. But in the event that you are working with a fractional CFO, it can help you out with that process. Um, outside of that, once you're at 40K and beyond, your business is now starting to grow. And so now your decisions that you're making are having bigger and bigger impacts, right? So you're really building the foundation and you want to do that sooner rather than later. You want to have a clear plan. You know, you're probably, you've got your own visions, your own dreams in your own head, right? We need to work with a financial guy who can now write down what your dreams mean on paper and numbers. And you can actually say, hey, 
this is the plan I want to do to achieve my dream. Does this actually make sense? And then the mm -hmm. best, if you work with a functional CFO who's worked with other businesses like you, they can call you on your shit and they can tell you, that's not going to work. This isn't going to work. I've seen this spell. Oh, maybe you should think about this. And that's where the real value I I'd say comes, especially like in our relationship. You know, we're talking about, you know, marketing agent things a lot. I can hold my own in conversation with you guys to a degree about sure. marketing strategy there, even though, you know, and this is a fun concept that, that I recently, uh, you know, kind of, kind of solidified for me. When you look at C-suites in an organization, because that's what a fractional CFO is, it's your CFO. Those conversations, everyone's coming in with their own superpower. You're going to have your CFO coming in, your CMO, uh, marketing officer. He's coming in with marketing. You're going to have your operations, operations person. Then you have your CEO, visionary, CTO, technology, whatever have you. Once you're sitting at that table, it doesn't really matter what got you to the table. You're all just talking about business and you all have a good working knowledge of it. And really those roles come back into play once you leave the table and you're like, oh, we need to do this financial change. We'll CFO go back and handle that with the team there so yeah i mean you know kind of, kind of long-winded thing there but that's that's you know really how you should be thinking about it bringing the you know fractured cfo and after that point you know it gets way more complicated if you're already working with fractured cfo you should be able to kind of understand like you know they'll tell you hey now you're going to file a c corp and walk you through all the other deep things but if you're early on you're running a small business that should get you there so um you and i were talking um I think this was within the last week. It's all a blur for me at this point. But you and I are talking recently where, um, you know, we talk about the percentages, right? There's certain ratios that you like to to maintain. Now, I guess my question is, you know, and I'm happy to talk about those ratios, but is that specific to our business or is that something that you feel is more like this is ideal if you can? Um, what what are your thoughts around that? And, and, and if it is more broad than, and, and not just applicable to us, um, I think it would be good to talk about those numbers. Yeah. So I think it's, it's interesting when you talk about those percentages and calling them up for what they are, they're more or less budgets and they're kind of safety constraints for you to have within your business. And so the, the numbers that we use with you are, you know, 10% for paid client acquisition, 45% for labor, 85% for overheads. Of revenue. That, yeah. Of revenue, of, 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 of your net, net revenue. So like, you know, to give a, a clear Example there, if somebody's going to pay you $3,000, but a thousand of that is going to pay for their ads, 2000 is the number that we're talking about there. So, mm. um, yeah, uh, you know, so those, those numbers that we're using for you, you know, they're, they're, I'd say that they're good extrapolations from, from very high concept. I'd say, I'd say more of historical numbers of saying, oh, you want to spend like a third on client acquisition, a third on labor. Um, and then the rest is like, you know, overhead profit, all that good stuff. A uh, third of your expenses on labor. I don't ever add. Sorry, and then you know. Well, I'd be. I feel like that's even more of a generalization, though, because I feel like you've even gotten more granular with us than that. Yeah. So that's that's what I'm saying. So it starts at the granular level. Gotcha. So the next level of saying, okay, we're going to take that and we're going to say, what does that look like for us? Because in your number, the 45 percent, we have we have your sales uh, in there. We have your your marketing labor in there. Your sales commission, your marketing labor, right? But if you actually pulled those out and added those to the 10 percent ad spend, we're talking about. You'd see the third. So as far as an acquisition cost, I see what you're saying. It's the same number, but it's how do you present it in a way that is you know, easy for you to look at and to not have to think about all the different variabilities. Gotcha. So we're just categorizing that as labor and that's in our, what, fixed or variable costs? 
Uh, yeah, well, we don't, the way that we break it out, it's not very much on the fixed and variable side. That's a whole fun conversation that will melt everyone's brains if I go into it. Okay. <laughs> um, but the, the point, the, where I'm going with this is, right, it's like, you know, I say the 10, 45, and 15, but if you have, let's say that you've got an operation that is set up and you- Hold, hold on, before we move forward, so let's say we make it 500000 a month, okay? So you're saying 10%, AKA $50,000 should be in client acquisition costs. So ad spend, marketing dollars, right? The 45% is? Labor. Labor, right? So 45% of, you're gonna be at, um, uh, that's tough to, so 240-ish thousand, somewhere in there, right? Uh, okay. Should be probably labor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, essentially. Okay, and then, and then uh, from there, the remaining, 15%. 15% is? Overhead. And so that's going to be the software, trainings for your team, um, you know, just really anything that is not advertising or labor is probably the easiest way to think about that. So if, if, if you do that, so I'm just doing this 10 plus 25 plus 15, that leaves you at 70% between those three numbers. So the goal is 30% profit. There you go. Perfect. Now on the head, right? So We've got 10, 15, and 15 that get you to 30% profit based off of what we just talked about. That's just off of that example. Now, let's break that down. Let's break that number down a little bit further. Um, that What does that 30% profit mean for you? And this is a big thing I want to talk about here, you know, in terms, especially given given where we are in the market, you know, just, just you know, things are things are tightening up with the interest rates increasing, um, especially, yeah, to, for your audience there. That 30%, what it is, is that's like a risk tolerance for you. Because if you if something goes bad in your business, external or internal, maybe you have a key team member leave and that causes some clients to leave you, you know, in effect, uh, maybe in the market, the market rates increase, right? That 30%, the bigger that is, the more chance you have for something to screw up <laughs> um, and not go down a break even or worse. Uh, the smaller it is, the more vulnerable you are to one single breakage. Putting okay. So... When it comes to these numbers that we're talking about, them, what you should do, it's more important than like, where did the numbers come from than to just have numbers on paper written down to say, okay, I may like, I, I'm set to make 400 K this month. I'm, I'm setting aside 40,000 for my ads. So if you don't leave 40, like if you don't you know spend more than 40 K, you will have 10% on your ads. If you go into, you know, uh, the 45% there, if you set aside 45% of that number and you don't spend more on labor, you're going to be at your budget. You're going to be at 45% on labor, same thing with overheads, and you're guaranteeing yourself 30% profit at that time if you stay within those constraints. But now, but now the distinction there as well is profit does not equate to distribution, right? That's, that's, that's money left over in the account at the end of the month, but that does not equate to owner pay. Which is which leads me. So I talk about profit being like a risk tolerance thing, kind of a. I said it earlier on like the sheet, but a risk mitigator, right? So you're gonna have profit being one metric there. The other is gonna be actual cash in your bank, in your business's bank, not your personal bank, but in your business's bank. And so what you want to have there is like a benchmark for yourself is really three to six expenses. Now, if you knew a recession was coming, which I mean, yeah, we're. You know, we can say, are we in or are we not? But I'd say everyone's feeling a little tight right now. Yeah. Want to have that number be on the higher end, closer to the six, because you know that that's coming, right? So you're you're preparing. Um, but three X is the general, like you know, if you had to pick one number and be very general with it, three X operating expenses is what it is. So what are operating expenses? 
it's the ads I was telling you about, it's the labor I was telling you about, and it's the overhead that we were just talking about. So you want to make sure you have three X of those expenses in your bank at all times. Mm. And it, you got to run late. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that makes sense. So, so, you know, we, uh, um, in the, uh, April issue that just went to print of our, uh, uh, monthly newsletter for our members called the mortgage maverick, um, in the, in the April issue, um, which just getting mailed out here to our members in a, in a, about a week or so. Um, we actually broke down the 10 things that we attributed our growth because we literally had our best month in uh, uh, January of, of all time. And and December was actually really good too, which traditionally in this, uh, in the mortgage industry, those tend to be slower months. And for us, it was records, um, which at the same time was happening while I, I knew friends that were losing their ass because of the market and the fear and all that kind of stuff. And so, um, you know, I actually mentioned in that article, 10 things that, uh, um, I believe set us up for a, a successful season while other people were having a very different thing. Right. And this leads to, this leads to one of my favorite quotes from, uh, uh, a famous person, which was Walt Disney. And he said, I heard that there's a recession and I choose not to participate. And, you know, that was kind of a belief that we've had. And we actually, I don't know if you remember this, there was a season, and I mentioned this in the article in the April issue, there was a season, uh, um, I think it was the the December before. So not 2020, but 2021, we lost like over 40% of our clientele, like in, in a quarter, right? It would in like a two month span. And we had just hired for growth. We were planning for growth, right? And this goes into your conversation you're talking about, about that 30% is like, that's, that's the that's the padding for the punch, right? It's like, if it's 20%, you got less padding for that hit. If it's 40%, you could probably take the hit, right? And so I remember how tight it was and McBee and I even, you know, uh, uh, stopped paying ourselves to, to for, for a period of time to ensure that we could take that blow without the company um, having consequences, you know, which, I mean, as we've seen over the last few months, you know, uh, Facebook, Google, aka Alphabet, uh, uh, um, you know, Amazon, there's been tens of thousands of people laid off, um, you know, and we didn't want to have to do that. And so, uh, it was actually a hard lesson that we had to learn. And I feel like through collaboration with you and obviously a lot of hard work and, and growth and, 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 you know, like long vision, not short-term thinking, but long-term thinking, um, I feel like we went from having uh, like the worst season of our life to 12 months later, having the best season of our life during the same season of the year. Right. And the swings were still similar, right? They were magnified the second year negatively. Yet our success was also magnified, which, you know, I, I, I believe is off. A lot of that is, is attributed to you. That's why actually one of the 10 things that I attributed to us having the best season of our life during it defied gravity by all metrics um, was having a, a, a CFO that we felt we could rely on. Um, so that's actually in the Maverick. I, I, first time I'm probably telling you that, but um, you know, having a CFO is it literally, it saved our ass uh, because it gave us, you know, I, the, the way that I like to uh, uh, kind of make the analogy is, you know, running a business is like flying a plane. Um, and what I mean by that is uh, it, one wrong move and you crash burn and people die in the process. And so, you know, um, not having a CFO, uh, let me rephrase this, 
going into hard financial times is like flying in the clouds and the CFO is the gauges, right? A good pilot who has their instrument rating can fly without visibility based on the gauges. They just, they know, you know, if, if, if this is, if this is where I'm at, I just maintain flaps. I, you know, I, I they're holding onto the yoke. They got all the visibility they need on their gauges. Now, if you don't know how to read the gauges, what usually ends up happening is, is uh, you know, and this is how most people die if they are on their instrument rating when they're flying, is it's hard to tell when you're inverted, when you lose vi actual visibility because you feel the momentum either way, right? And so they think that they're pulling up. They're really actually pushing down. Now they're in a downward spiral. By the time they're out of the clouds, it's too late to actually pull up and they die. And so, you know, that to me was kind of how I felt having a CFO was it was even when we get into the clouds, we got the gauges, right? And and ideally, we're not in the clouds and and you're nice to have, not a need to have, right? But when we're in those clouds, we got the gauges, we know how to read them, we're good, right? Um, and so I felt like that was a, a really pivotal thing, having you guys uh, uh, watch our back through these seasons, right? And having you having you there to tell us some of the hard truths you had to tell us in, in late 2021, right? Which became some of the foundation for the strength that we had in 2022, which was, uh, uh, um, I mean, it was a game changer. And, and, and I would say it, it helped us take market share. It helped us uh, uh, continue to pass uh, uh, competition. I mean, I, I feel like most of them were already lapping, if I'm being honest, but like, you know, it was like, it was just a bigger safety net of protection between us and, and, and the competition. So I was very grateful for that. Um, but, but yeah, having a CFO, I mean, we definitely attribute that as one of the reasons that we were able to continue to grow when, uh, when there was every reason not to, when, when the, the common narrative was it's hard out there, I'm losing my ass and for good reason. I mean, it's like a lot of people were right. And so I'm very grateful that you, you guys were there, uh, during that season. And, and I know that it made such a transformative, um, change in our life. So I just wanted to give you that shout out there. Um, I think that that's uh, what you said is actually a pretty interesting and triggered a quote in my head. And I, I don't know this to begin with, but you know you can get rich and uh, rich in a bull market, but wealthy in a bear market, right? And so everyone's making money when things are good. Everyone's making money when things when things are great, right? But if you have positioned yourself appropriately when things go bad, it's actually an opportunity for you. Because as your competition's falling to the side as they're struggling, that is the moment for you. If you have properly planned for it, or you're properly understanding the reality of the situation that you are in, you can turn that to your advantage. And if you can even stay flat during you know down times, pretty much, as soon as something becomes like you know good, you're gonna shoot past everyone else. Yeah. And so that is, yeah. I mean, I think that's the the fascinating, uh, you know, just part about business. And and you know, it's a long game. You know, if you want, but I think Brad. Maybe you have the infinite game, Simon Sinek thing. Yes, like, yeah. Your goal isn't to isn't to win next year, win two years later. Your goal is to keep your business running, keep it profitable in perpetuity. Right. Yeah, it should outlive us. I mean, ideally, right? It's like even if, even if you go to sell a business, newsflash here, someone is not going to want to buy your business unless it's gotten value going out forever. Right. So if you accomplish that goal, you will have a valuable business as well. Or if you're selling at pennies on the dollar at a discount, right? Um, so Chase, this has been a great conversation. Um, I think there's a, a lot of awesome things here um, that people can kind of chew on. I, I mean, really, at the end of this, guys, you got to know your numbers, right? Um, I, it for us was the difference between life or death, and I and I and I believe that quite literally because if it wasn't for Chase and his team, um, I I don't know that we would have recovered from the the winter of 2021. 
uh, I, I mean, we may have maintained, but I, I think that we were at a very pivotal point where um, what we did for the next 90 days was life or death. And, and we chose life and we had the people with us to be able to, to, to fight that fight. Um, but you know, it's like, you got to have that visibility, right? So, um, I, I think, like he said, if you're, if you're between zero and 40,000, find a CPA, you really, really trust and, and believe can help you. If you're above 40,000 a month, um, it's paramount for you to actually have somebody not just helping you make sense of the past, but make sense of the future financially. And so that's when you need to start looking for, um, some sort of fractional CFO. Um, I think a good indicator of a good CFO to work with from the sounds of it is a CMA designation. So look for that. I didn't know that existed, but now we do. Um, Chase, are there any other pieces of advice you have for young entrepreneurs or even seasoned entrepreneurs that are just looking to have more uh, peace of mind around their finances and more stability around their finances while they go out to grow? Because it's it's often hard for us, I feel, to focus on getting more money while also focusing on holding the money we have, right? And so letting go of the pressure and the and the oversight for me of having to worry about the money I already have, I feel frees me to focus on the acquisition of new money. I would I would say the the biggest thing that comes to mind is you know find whoever that partner is for you make find one that has great communication that's been the different differentiator that I've seen between us and and a lot of other you know fractional CFOs um, find someone who is free to talk to you you know really at a moment's time you know we're in a Slack channel with you guys if you guys have a question how long does it typically take before you get Arts, to- I mean. Sometimes, sometimes I'm I'm like I've entered the first sentence and I'm entering the second sentence and I already can see Chase is typing. You know, it's like, it's nice. So it's you know find someone that has a setup like that because that is going you know that communication. Even if you found someone who has like this amazing like oh I've done this that and the other thing right, um, all these certifications I'm CPA CMA all that. If you can't talk to them, it doesn't matter, right? So yeah, find for sure. With you and that also shares the mentality of being your partner and that you you know can just really jive with and ha- build that trusting relationship with because all the work is for nothing if you don't trust the partner that you're working with so just make sure that that element is there no matter who you decide to work with um and you're gonna have a lot of people out there that are gonna offer you like pennies on the dollar type thing you're gonna get what you pay for there you want to find someone who is quality over everything else because in the end that peace of mind allowing you to focus on your business well out earn any virtually any amount that you're going to pay. So just make sure you find the right thing. Final question I got for you, Chase, is um, what is a book or a resource that you've gone through in either recent months or maybe earlier in your life it was transformative for you, so it's still like top of mind. But what is a book or a resource that you feel should be mandatory reading for somebody in the mortgage industry or in sales, or just in business in general? Business in general. So I mean, my favorite book is who. Um, by Jeff Smart. Um, that's it goes very deep into hiring. So if you're team at any point in time, uh, he's turning around. You, you got it on your, uh, your. I forgot. I let I let uh, Tim borrow it, but I do have it. So what I actually love about that book more than all the ones is this, it's a this was another one they wrote though. Oh yeah, they did. Yeah, Power Sports, the sequel, right? Um, but it's a it's very actual guideline when it comes to hiring for your team, making sure you're getting the right hire yourself. All that because in the end, a business will like grow as far as you take it if you don't have the right team. So get the right team, people that will again add that compounding value. They're not doing one-off tasks, but they're actively building within your business. That's where the real success is. That's where you're going to go like to, to the highest like levels that you can possibly achieve. Um, if you just have a you know an army of people under you and you're the only person at the top like leading it all, 
you're only gonna yeah you're gonna be limited and your bandwidth's gonna be yeah you become the bottleneck yeah yeah so uh other thing is uh good to great is is a good book too mm, jim gons yeah 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 you recommended that i went through that i went through uh good to great and built to last after you uh recommended that so i gotta read built to last it's on my it's my uh my list you read it yet oh well there you go. I, I, I try to do like one book a month, you know, uh, most. Otherwise, I'm going to try to implement a hundred different things. That's fair. There's a lot out there. Yeah. So, <laughs> but yeah. All right. Yeah. You recommended that to me and I and I literally just hopped on Audible and Amazon. I bought it right away and I started reading it. So, it was, uh, it was a good read. I felt like it was also timely for when you recommended it. So, um, I was into that. Um, cool. Well, Chase, uh, so finally, before we head out... Um, for those that want to reach out, maybe there are people that are at the point where they go, yeah, I do. This actually makes sense. I just want somebody I can trust to take care of this. Uh, or maybe there's just people that want to connect with you, get to know you more, um, you know, and, and kind of, uh, be able to, to walk the path and the journey with you and get to know you more before they start working with you. How can people reach out? How should they get a hold of you? Yeah. So they can reach out to me at chase at growthfinancial.co. So dot co, not dot com. Um, and chase is spelled C H A Y C E. Okay. We will put that in the, in the description. Is there, uh, any, any social profiles that you, that you, uh, like to use for business or anything like that? Uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, feel free to add me on both of those guys. We can, can drop you a link to both of those. Awesome. Cool. Well, there, there you have it guys. Uh, hopefully this episode of the Lens Center show helps you make more sense of your finances. Um, obviously it's a tough market out there. And even if it's not, um, you know, my philosophy is, uh, the best time to prepare for a recession is before you're in one. Uh, and if you always act as if you're in a recession, um, the good times are great and the bad times are okay. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a very different story than those that act like they're in a, in a boom at all times and then get their teeth kicked in when they are in a recession, which I think we've seen, right? A lot of people have come from, you know, 2020, 2021, when money was free, rates were the twos and the threes. Life was good. If you had a pulse and you could fog a mirror, you could write a loan, uh, because everybody was refinancing and buying and it was, it was a crazy market. And that creates obviously a vacuum in a market like this, which, uh, uh, you know, obviously perpetuated by the recession and rising interest rates and low inventories and all that. And so it's like people took their foot off the gas uh, uh, during those years. And now um, there's a lot of hard lessons being learned. Right. And so the best time for you to prepare for that is before it ever happens. Right. So the better there's no better time than now uh, uh, at this point. And so seize this opportunity to make sense of your finances. Uh, and, and get people with you that you trust that can help you watch your back uh, and help you hold on to the money that you make because uh, a lot of people can can make money and that's great, but uh, it, it's it's a hell of a lot harder to make it and hold it and continue to make more. And so that's what having you know somebody like a CFO uh, uh, on your team does for you. So with that said, guys, um, thanks for checking out this episode of The Lens Setter Show. Chase, thanks for joining us. It's been a pleasure having you as always. Um, I, I always look forward to every call I get to have with you. Sir. Awesome, man. Take care, guys.